Welcome to ACME Talks and Live Events. You are listening to a podcast from the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. This talk has been recorded in front of a live studio audience. This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes, which may not be suitable for younger audiences. And the opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Hello. Hello, hello. Can everyone hear me? Good. Um, I'd like to start off by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we stand and um, to take a moment to pay my respects to Elders past and present. My name's Lena Van Deventer uh, and I will be hosting slash trying to keep up tonight um, <laughs> when we have a chat with Robin Haneke about Journey, one of my favourite games of all time. Uh, we'll be having some live gameplay and some discussion uh, and then we'll have a Q&A portion at the end. So if you've got some questions that come to mind throughout the evening that you'd like to ask at the end, write them down. Um, if you're anything like me, if you don't write it down, it doesn't happen. Uh, we will also be taking photos and documenting the event as well, so be aware of that. Um, and without further ado, I'd like to introduce Robin Haneke. She is an American video game designer and producer and co-founder of Phenomena. She's also finishing a PhD in computer science at Northwestern University, where she's researching artificial intelligence and game design, having been awarded a BA Honours in Humanities from the University of Chicago and an MS in Computer Science also from Northwestern University. Robin has taught and worked as a research assistant at both of these academic institutions. Uh, Haneke began her career <laughs> at Electronic Arts where she worked on multiple games including My Sims as lead designer and Boom Blocks and its sequel as a producer. After leaving EA, she was hired by that game company with whom she produced Journey, <laughs> an online cooperative game for the PlayStation 3. After its completion, Haneke joined Tiny Spec to develop a social Morpeg glitch, teaming with Katamari, Katamari Damacy creator and personal friend Kita Takahashi. Prior to the rele release of Glitch, Haneke left Tiny Spec and co-founded Phenomena together with Martin Middleton a former teammate and engineer at that game company. In October 2012, Phenomena announced their first project to build a game that takes data from a pedometer and does something fun with it. So that's really exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Aside from her work on video games, Haneke is recognised in the industry for her support of independent game development, experimentation in game design, research in dynamic difficulty adjustment, and the advo advocacy of women within the games industry. Through her public speaking, volunteer work and academic outreach, she evangelises fresh independent designs, sustainable work practices and increased diversity in work practice. Uh, please welcome Robin Haneke. Uh, this event's presented by the Game Developers Association of Australia and Film Victoria, so we'd like to say thank you to them as well. Robin's visit also coincides with the final week of ACME's Game Masters exhibition, which celebrates the world's most influential game developers, with over 125 playable games, including Journey, 
For the final week of the exhibition, tickets to Game Masters are only $10 each, so do go downstairs and check that out if you haven't already. Uh, they must close at 6pm on Sunday the 28th of October, so get in quick. Uh, Journey is the focus tonight, and as such I'll be focusing both on that and also feelings, or feels, as they're otherwise known. Um, thus, I won't be asking much about Sony deliverables, prototypes, <laughs> schedules, or funding, uh, but if Robin would like to discuss those things along the way, or if anyone, <laughs> if anyone would like to ask a, a question towards the end, you're more than welcome to. Uh, for me, it's all about the feels, though. Uh, numbers are quite boring. There's also a post-mortem flying, flying around from um, GDC that you might find interesting if, if numbers really get you off. Um, <laughs> if, if all that kind of stuff you want more detail. But uh, we're, we're definitely going to be focusing on the feels. So let's play Journey. All right, let's do it. <laughs> How do you guys feel? <laughs> Feeling any feels? <laughs> so yeah, the intro always makes me a little bit emotional. So It was um, an intro and a half. This game has actually been played through once already. It's not going to be online because PlayStation Network was updated last night. Believe <laughs> so it or not. We didn't want to update the kit, so we're just going to play through just me. It was um, working yesterday. Yeah. And then Sony thought they'd be funny and update. Yeah. <laughs> but that'll be good because that means we won't have someone doing that in the game. So. Yeah. <laughs> It'll just be us. <laughs> An intimate night with That's Robin right. Haneke. And I thought we'd just start with the intro and the title because it sets the tone for a lot of what Journey is. Absolutely. Now this is where it became apparent to me why it was called Journey, because there's a big mountain and I want to go to that mountain. That's right. That's, but that's because I'm <laughs> not that bright. Um, is there more to the name, the actual name choice, Journey, than just getting from there to the mountain? Other than... Uh, an ode to the band, do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was weaving Don't Stop Believing and all sorts of things all through my notes before. We, had, we actually had the Scarab logo at one point up there. And when you, the save game at one point was actually all the band members of Journey would come up on the back screen. I love it. I love it. Very, very awesome shot of the band. Um, it was really about uh, creating a sense that, yeah, you were going to be going from one place to another and that this was going to be the focus, that the, the journey itself was the focus which we wanted to iterate on in a lot of different ways, but we really wanted to reinforce that from the very beginning. It also subtly nudges the player toward multiplayer a little bit too because journeys by yourself are pretty boring. Yeah, I think... I think <laughs> Playing journey as single player is not boring, but journeys in general can be uh, more fun with other people for sure. Yeah, and I think actually one of the things we worked on in the very beginning was to figure out how to establish the sense that you were alone, but that there were also others. And so this is the first time that you see, you know, another living thing perhaps in the environment mm. and really making it clear that you weren't alone early enough um, so that when you saw that first person, you would really understand that there was more to the world than just the desert. Also this feeling that it was a playful interaction, so spending a lot of time thinking about um, the animation here, uh, the rise and fall of the character, how they, how they can kind of glide and run when touched by other life, because that's also something that when you play with someone else you see a lot in the game. Mm, absolutely. The joy of human touch. 
Uh, you've mentioned in the past that a major inspiration uh, behind uh, for, for Journey was tales of people who've walked on the moon uh, and how that's transformed, that journey transformed their lives and how they were unable to look at the world differently when they got back. Um, how, can, how can we put such a huge uh, emotion so easily into a game? <laughs> well, it was interesting. I think the inspiration was this conversation between Genova and a pilot who had been out to outer space um, several times to, to take people into the environment and to this, his feeling that people often, when they're actually traveling to space before they get there, they have the sense that they're very important, they're scientists, they know things, and then when they go into outer space, they see the world from a very different perspective and then realize that they are, in fact, alone. And this idea that you're not, you're not in charge of everything, that there's this actual force around you, everything around you is, is bigger than you, transforms the people after they come back. They suddenly become interested in helping the world, making the world a better place, understanding perhaps um, their place in the universe um, because that aloneness when you're removed from the earth, when you get home, you really feel like you're home again. Mm. And your peers and everyone around you are more valuable maybe than they were when you thought of yourself as an island on the earth itself. And I think that's something that we really tried to to work with here was this idea that even when you first see the, the first glyphs in the game, um, when, you, when you pass these stones and you interact with the cloth and the sand, that you start to wonder if you really are alone or if those images, those characters, these graves um, represent a civilization that maybe still exists. Mm. So the mystery of your connection to the universe is something that we tried to get in very early. Mm. It's hard to say, you know, you're going to make people feel like they feel when they go to outer space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty intense thing to say, and it, like it would probably be kind of pretentious. But the inspiration mm. that one would really confront their own mortality, their own connection to the universe, but also to each other, was something that we really we talked a lot about over the course of the production. I think you recreated it really well, especially when it gets into the the darker sort of stages where there's more threats and more you do begin to feel more alienated um, and then to contradict that afterwards the freedom and the movement and, and everything like that I think you recreated that really well that feeling of feeling about this big and then all of a sudden feeling really amazing yeah I felt pretty amazing <laughs> well one, one of the other things that we tried to do a lot especially in this early section of the game was to give you that sense that there was something magical and mysterious about the environment itself. And so, this is my favorite cue in the game here. The, the calm feeling of being surrounded by things in the space compared to the desolate feeling all around it. Mm. That contrast. Journey is, a lot of journey is about textures. Mm. And then of course, knowing that there's maybe more to the world than just you. It's kind of funny to think about a group of developers, programmers, making a game that's sort of very cosmic in its goals. Yeah, definitely. Um, you've often talked about starting with an emotion and working backwards, um, and how that was definitely something that, that occurred in Journey in, in its development. How much of that is that game company, and how much of that is Robin and goes with you wherever 
you go oh, and yeah. is part of you as a maker. <laughs> I think it's now sort of something that I can't I can't approach a project without thinking about the feeling. In yeah. fact, I was just talking with some developer friends of ours earlier today about a project they're working on and asking them like, what's the goal? What's the feeling? How should the players feel? What's the what's the ambiance? You know, what are you trying to create inside of the player as a unique experience? Mm. Um, when I first started working in games, I came from computer science. And so the idea of being able to craft a narrative and all these things that existed in my mind as a, as a concept. Um, but I was really interested in systems and mechanics and uh, especially in how you could make the machine seem real mm. so that you would want to interact with it. And um, I've actually been kind of going back to my thesis recently and, uh, and trying to... to to sort of understand the work that I did then in light of the work that I've done since then. And I think one of the biggest influences has been the theory of MDA and the theory that when you focus on the mechanics, you end up with a system. It, it may be interesting as, as a logic, um, but it may not be reflective of human experience or um, emotion or context in the way that art can be. There are some amazing games that are almost completely mechanics that do achieve that. For example, Go, I think, is an amazing game and has really captured something universal about life and war and systems in a very simple mechanic, but you have to spend a lot of time with it to get there. And we're a little bit impatient these days, I think. <laughs> People enjoy getting to the point very quickly. Even the pacing of Journey is, I think, quite a change. Mm. So working from the other side, always working from the feeling side, it gives us the courage to really address those concerns up front mm. um, without getting lost in what the rules are. A lot of Journey, when we first started, was very platformy, I would say. And one of the things that we realized was that if you spent all of your time thinking about moving from place to place and jumping from object to object, you would, you would not be aware of the universe that you were traversing. You'd only be aware of it as a set of affordances. Mm. And that's the way we think about platforming games. It's the way we think about a lot of other content, is that you're aware of it in terms of its a set of affordances, these are platforms. I am traversing the platform to get to the object. Here is what you are allowed to yeah. do, here is you what you are not to allowed the object, to do. And then you jump to the other object and you achieve an objective. Mm. And yet, that's really not what it's about. I mean, this entire area is actually composed um, almost exclusively to connect you to other players. So if we were online, because I'm moving through the space, I'm constantly touching and retouching cloth, interacting with these objects, the mechanic of this space is definitely one of connection. Mm. But it's also one of, of discovery and, and sort of the really experiencing the sand here for the first time. When we built this area, we knew that mechanically it needed to be a, a meeting place, but the movement needed to feel uh, meditative. It needed to be fun to surf around in the environment. And you can actually go completely through this environment without stopping almost. You can just surf and surf and surf. Um, I spent a lot of time in here doing that. So. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned uh, MDA just then. That stands for Mechanics, Dynamics and Aesthetics. This That's is correct. something you've worked on a lot. Uh, your paper on it I find super interesting um, because often 
I'd say I, I can spruik the hippie way of doing things often. <laughs> it's seen as, or I'm treated as, that that's the, the wishy-washy, airy-fairy, feels way of doing things. But we need some verbs. We need to, how do we do that? How do we get from that emotion to this result? Um, and MDA is the first sort of thing that I've really come across that said, well, this is how we did it, and we think it works really well, and here's this amazing game that was made, you know, with that kind of philosophy behind it. Um, if you could give us the lowdown on MDA and how how that's used as a method of transforming the emotion you want to invoke into the player into actually evoking that emotion into the player. You know, so with MDA, you start off thinking about the aesthetics, and in Journey, the aesthetics are definitely about loss, loneliness, connection, um, feelings of both smallness and largesse, the feeling that you are small in an, an environment where there are forces greater than you. Um, when we started the project, we talked about the way we wanted it to feel. Um, we would say, together we can move the mountain. And saying that now sounds ridiculous because that's totally not what the game is about. <laughs> but, um, but it was something that we thought a lot about. And um, we talked a lot about what is the feeling? How is it going to work? The mechanics are obviously in Journey that you can jump, you can call, you can run, um, you can collect this fabric and you can move through the space. Um, and by doing so, by interacting with these small cloths, you can actually give yourself the ability to move a little bit faster, move a little bit farther. By collecting these little um, symbols, you can grow your scarf, which lets you move even further. The scarf is effectively a small wallet when you have it empty, you can touch other cloth and fill it, but when it's full, it's no longer able to be filled. And the reason that the mechanics are like that is because when you could just get as much cloth as you wanted and people played with each other, they were quite jealous. And so we'd actually built a game with all this beautiful feeling in it, and then people were like, he's stealing my cloth, you know? <laughs> he's taking my stuff. And they would literally be racing through the game even though when they touched each other, they would glow and they could refill each other's scarves, they just didn't see it because the yeah. mechanics were broken. And so sometimes you really do need to work on the mechanics and fix them in this case of, of making the wallet quite small. Um, Genova was able to really fix this fundamental problem in the, in the interaction between two players, which is the dynamics. So the dynamics are your interaction with the system, the rules in the system and you interacting with them, creating a feeling. So for example, the dynamic right now is that I have I've created this, I've explored this world and I've created this bridge and I'm moving along it. Now we reinforce that with the pacing of the music and then we're moving back here to the end. The feeling when you play with someone else here, especially when two people have solved this puzzle together, is a, is a dynamic of collaboration and connection which is really important. And one of the things that was quite difficult to describe when we were first building Journey was that that would emerge. Mm. Um, for the longest time, you would only be able to play Journey this way by yourself. And so the dynamic that occurs when you both cross this bridge and then you each shout and then you each walk and then you each are seated and see the scene together is really quite cozy. It's really romantic. It's, mm. It feels like togetherness. It's very familiar too. It's very, I, I felt like, you know, at school when everyone arrives in the morning and then they all sit down together in front of the teacher. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was very, very much that kind of everyone sitting down and, and here's our teacher telling us, a teacher, you know, true. how the world works. It is a teacher. <laughs> yeah. And 
one of the things that happens is that as you work on the aesthetics and you really try to build out the world and the, the way the world feels, these scenes were built very late in the development cycle because we couldn't know what they should be until quite late. Mm. These all work to reinforce the feeling, the, the, the sort of remembrance of a history that is unknown, you know, mm. and that's that feeling of mystery and, and sadness inside the story comes from the aesthetics, but it's really reinforced by that loneliness, that separation from another person, the feeling of life when you're near cloth and then moving away from it and kind of almost feeling like a little bit sad that you'll be leaving all these little things behind now moving into a new area. Mm. I really liked, I really, really liked just exploring those and, and frantically looking around trying to absorb as much of it as I could because I've been programmed into thinking there's clues in there that might help me somehow in, in, you know, in the other half of the game. But that's, that's just a knee-jerk thing. Um, it make, makes me think of um, who was in charge of making this, this world. Um, Journey has a, a vivid world and there's, there's reasons for things existing. There's a story behind it. Um, but it doesn't have the written word to get it across. Um, but would you say that Journey still had writers? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I think that we all, yeah, we all participated quite a bit in discussing the narrative. Matt Nava, the lead artist, um, spent a lot of time thinking about the narrative of each building, the architecture itself, why it came about, who made it, what they were like, um, the cloth itself, the designs, the, the, the glyphs, everything about the world. I think he spent a lot of time evaluating to make sure that everything fit together. And we would have dialogue sometimes about whether, you know, whether it made sense for a gate to open a certain way, whether it made sense for um, uh, sand to disappear or reappear or for the cloth to disappear or reappear in certain ways. Um, what was the metaphor of this life form? How did it, how did it transform over time? Um, and I think it's, it's interesting because when you talk about this sort of thing as a, as a development team, you talk and you talk and you talk and you draw sort of like crappy little drawings on the whiteboard of like cloth coming out of a gate and then some shouts and stuff. And then Matt would go away and come back an hour or two later with a picture or sometimes a couple of days later with a picture or a series of, of um, drawings and you would just say, yeah, exactly. Like that's... Like this? No, that, yes, that's yeah. what it is. And so this, for example, the entire concept, everything about it, the fish being freed from this environment, music playing, the shout, the caress, and then pulling you forward. We would talk about it, and then Matt would make a drawing or an animation, and then we would see it, and we'd say, that's it, and then slowly labor to get it in the game. There were only two artists full-time on Journey um, at any given time with, with one animator um, at times, Matt, um, Matt and Aaron, especially, who joined the project towards the end. I, I just can't say enough how hard they worked um, mm. to make it as beautiful it is, as it is and collaborating with John to make it feel so luscious. You know, this color palette, the lighting, everything about it, just the... This is all the result of two very hardworking people collaborating with a couple of engineers for a very long time. <laughs> and, uh, 
And it's interesting because we say, oh, the designer this, the designer that. But, you know, a game is not a game if you can't see it and you can't hear it. And the sound design in this part of the game and the lighting design, the feeling of the sand, each part of it, you know, the engineering team, the sound design team, and the art team, they all, it sounds kind of funny to call them teams, those pairs of people, so that's six people I'm talking about. <laughs> they did an amazing job um, bringing this to life. And then the level designers building it out, um, you know, Nick and Brian and Chris just working so hard to bring these things together. It's, it's hard to call it writing because mm. it feels like craft. It feels like uh, practice. Yeah. It feels like composition. Because when people think writer, they think written word and pens and quills and things like that. And when people think designer, they think protractors and rulers and MacBooks. And, yeah. <laughs> and so it's sort of, I feel like both of those words don't really do it justice. No. It was a collaborative effort like Journey. Um, what do we call people, what do we call the people who are behind the game world? It's the whole team. It's the, the whole team. I mean, yeah. I, we were very we were very thrilled that Game Masters was responsive to listing us as that game company, not as one creator or one designer or one, you know, president or co-founder or this or that. You know, we consider ourselves to be a team. And even now, though we no longer all work together, um, we have a mailing list and we send each other um, little, you know awesome concept art that's done by, you know, fan art stuff that's done by people or really great um, analysis if there's a great article. If we win an award, we all celebrate together as a team on that list and I think probably always will be connected that way, um, probably as long as we live. Um, I was able to see many of the members of the team when I was down at Indicate in LA and it was just so great to see everybody in one room again. Yeah. Gives you that feeling. That collaborative effort, does it mean that the, the title producer sometimes doesn't sit well with you? Or are you happy with putting that hat on and saying oh, that's no. what I want? Oh, no. I've done enough that it's just fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I consider myself to be the person that helps make things happen. If I'm a designer, I'm making things happen on a level design or an object design or sound design basis. Whoever I'm helping with, I'm giving them design feedback. Mm -hmm. If I'm producing, I'm doing the same thing, only at a level a little bit higher. Um, I really just think the most important thing is that what you're working on comes from the heart. And if you care about the people on your team and you're a producer, then it comes from the heart. And if you care about your game and you're a designer or an artist, it comes from the heart. That's the most important thing. The, the label is actually kind of strange. We didn't put uh, any labels on our contribution at the end of the game. The credits are all just us, mm. our names in alphabetical order. find that really exciting. Yeah, you know, that's how Valve <laughs> does really it, right? Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might, as well, yeah. might as well emulate someone that you truly respect. Absolutely. Let's Absolutely. see if I can do this. <laughs> Yay. I like to sit here sometimes and just look out at the mountain. You can actually make yourself sit here and you can stand here with another person. It's quite a meditative experience. I do really love the freedom you do have to have sit in little hidey holes and just <laughs> be in the environment and feel all the feels. Yeah, and this is actually one of my favorite moments in the game because you transition from feeling like you're really playing um, and almost free to the feeling that there's maybe a responsibility in the space. Mm. And that feeling is really, I think, reminiscent of one's experience in life that there's a point where you realize you have a, maybe a, a me, there's a meaning to your life where there's a there's a destiny to you 
that transition is sometimes not not a happy one, but <laughs> <laughs> it's good to it's good to to think about it. I felt that in Flower as well. You, you, you start out with sort of learning how the movement all works, and then eventually you realize, hang on, that there's some flowers over there that I yeah, that are in a pattern. I might just go fly over near them, and then before you know it, you can start to um, manipulate the space around you and get. Get more pedals, more pedals. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> that really was how it was before we had the limit on the scarf size. It was yeah. just more, more, more. more. <laughs> People really love stuff that's shiny. Yeah, <laughs> I do. It's true. <laughs> so you called these little guys fish before? Yes, that was the internal word for them. Yeah. You know, some people call them carpets. Good, because I had no idea what yeah, to call it. Yeah, yeah, no, th there's actually a, a little bit in the book uh, that Matt released on The Art of Journey. He talks a little bit about some of the creatures and a little, some of their names um, and what, what they meant. Um, so that terminology is now a little bit more out in the world. Yeah, it's I, I very difficult it. to give interviews and not call it a he or a she. Yeah. Not call <laughs> yeah. it a fish or a guardian or all these words we used when we were making it. But... Mm. In your GCAP keynote uh, on Monday, you talked about how our little avatar that we're looking at at the moment went through a number of silhouettes. Yeah. Um, what worked and what didn't, and what, what were some of the ways that it changed? I remember it had arms at one point. We, we, the first character, just the dude, um, which is what we called him, um, he, had, he, had, he was fully articulated, had, had, hand, had hands and feet and stuff. He was like a little block dude. Um, and then his animation system was called the Dude Barn. So, um, so that legacy of the dude uh, became, um, it became important for us to be able to simplify the character because we realized that people wanted to climb and jump on things and stuff. And so eventually what we started doing was experimenting with making it much more like a kite or bird. Um, and then there were definitely different, different phases that the character went through. One of the things that I always really liked about the original pitch for Journey was the idea that you would be able to tell how much a person had played by looking at them from a distance. And um, the way that ended up resolving is that if you play through the game and you get all the secrets, you get a white costume, and the white costume comes with a special ability to fly almost endlessly. You can just touch any surface and you can keep flying. Um, but there was a, a drawing that I think Genova had done of a character with just like... Um, almost like a beard, like crazy long pieces coming off of all directions. And the idea was at the time that if you had played a lot by yourself, if you were a bit of a lone wolf, you would look really kind of grizzled and like aged, but like more of like a, like a lone tattered monk. Whereas if you played with other people, you would get more like feathers or like chimes or something. So there would be this almost like softness to your age as opposed to this harshness. And it was a really interesting idea, but it turned out to be almost completely technically infeasible. It was really difficult to get that much cloth or you know pieces on the character. And also it was kind of privileging in a way. Yeah. Like it, it gives you the sense of, of that, that one is better than the other or that there's a judgment in there. And the more we talked about it and we talked about this stuff all the time, that mm -hmm. decided, you know, it's just fine if it's just something simple. And the, the idea of the rings, this character's already been once through. You can see the rings around the bottom. That ended up working much better. And I think, again, because it wasn't judging you or trying to make you feel like there was a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. A game with social skills not maligned enough. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> to be reminded of it in Avatar. Well, and we didn't, we, you know, if you didn't want to play with other people, we had an early test with some. Um, 
with Tracy Florton where she just wanted to be by herself and she felt a lot of pressure to socialize. Mm. And we decided that we would not, um, this would not be a game you had to play with other people. You can just disconnect and play it by yourself and experience each moment um, in, in your own way first mm. and then decide to play online or maybe you never will. It's really your choice. I think the other thing that we thought a lot about is that, you know, the way I'm playing Journey right now may be the way that it has to be played in five years. It may be that there are not enough people online, oh, I missed the jump, um, to, to play together with someone else. And so we talked about it being a bit like a museum or a real relic that you could revisit, almost like a vacation, like I'm going to go see the ruins in Greece, um, because it could be that it's quite lonely later on and so that decision to decouple the multiplayer from a sense of achievement or a sense of worth I think came from the knowledge that many people may play this game totally solo. Mm. I played by myself. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> As a general rule I like to play the single player before I play the multiplayer. Yeah I'm quite shy mm. too. I, I, mm. I found myself um, I'm always a little bit embarrassed when I play with other people because I, I tend to find myself wanting to show them every secret, and it's like that's not really very nice. You should <laughs> find someone their own, so don't be such a braggart. Yeah. <laughs> Multiplayer can be a harsh experience sometimes too, uh, which is a good jumping-off point to something else I'd like to talk about uh, more. As you, uh, for you as a developer and as a maker, instead of uh, about journey specifically, um, and that's challenges facing women developers. Um, Internet stalking has pointed me to an interview that you did in, in August with our oh, sort of research um, in August with Jennifer Culp for the oh, hairpin. Yeah, 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 for, her for the hairpin. Yeah. Um, we mentioned some challenges involved in um, team collaboration, um, and you mentioned, I'll, I'll quote: "If the team can communicate openly and honestly about the strengths and weaknesses of the game, and everyone's focused on making the game great." as opposed to their individual power, desires, or perspectives, then they can rise above obstacles and build something more than the sum of its parts. That's brilliant. However, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's a genius. She's a genius. <laughs> However, if they feel ignored, are afraid to speak their minds, yeah. or lack a sense of authority over what they contribute, the game suffers. Um, do you think... Uh, I, th I think being, being ignored and not feeling confident enough to stand up when the odds are stacked against you is, is hard at the best of the times, but do you think it's particularly hard for women? I do. Yeah. I actually, um, there's a great book, it's a little bit old now, by Virginia Valiant called Why So Slow. And the first time I read it, you know, reading about studies that were done in corporate environments where a woman sitting at a table will say something and then no one will really respond. And then five minutes later, a dude will say the same thing and everyone will go, what? Of course, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't we think of that before? And it's like they've actually done quite a bit of research on this fact that women speak less in public when there are a lot of dudes around. Mm -hmm. um, I, gave a, I gave a rant at GDC uh, about uh, signaling threat, which is just a, it's just a fundamental fact of humanity that if you, uh, let's say you, a white male, go to India and are surrounded by people that don't look, sound, smell, or feel like you, you will feel threatened. And that's why people don't do that. They like to stay in places where they are not threatened. Um, when a woman goes into a tech company, she's surrounded by people that do not look, smell, feel like her, and she feels threatened. When, when an African-American takes a job at a predominantly white company, that's mm -hmm. the way they feel when a native 
moves through the city. That's how they feel. And it's, it's important to recognize that in our culture, we often just pretend that it's not happening. Like, I just participated in GCAP, and there were women in the audience, but there were not as many women as there were men. There were many less women than there were men. And I did not feel threatened because I'm the keynote speaker. <laughs> she has the power. But and some and you know and there are ways to there are ways to slice your participation. Oh, I participate as a as an experienced developer in a room of people that are aspiring developers, or as an American developer in a room of Australians who are you know seeking advice or this or that. But like in the end, I am a minority, and I am always aware of it, um, and I always will be, no matter how much nominal power or how much design credit or whatever you get. You will always be different, and you feel it. And I think it. it's important <laughs> to recognize that the only way for that to not happen is for there not to be these insanely unjust ratios. And it's very frustrating sometimes to go to an indie event and feel that this is the environment that where people have the most right to be different, the most mm. leeway to be openly gay, to be transgendered, to be angry, to be political, to be.、Um, Pirates, I don't know, like you know, whatever. <laughs> Wear striped shirts, you know, like you can do whatever you want in that environment, and yet somehow it seems that it has a tendency to conform and to feel like we're not really executing there. We're not really inviting the the different people、mm-hmm. that they feel alone in a sea of their peers, and that's something that I think we really need to. We need to be honest with ourselves about it, instead of pretending that it's not an issue, instead of pretending that it's not as bad as it as it seems when you really look at us compared to physics,、mm-hmm. you know, or us compared to, you know,、Footy? train engineering or something. <laughs> you know, I mean, like,、mm-hmm. you know,、um, working on The Sims was incredible because I was surrounded by women developers.、Um, yeah. You would wear a killer pair of shoes to work, and you would. Compliments, <laughs> you know, and like you would, you would have a problem, and you would go to talk to someone, and nine times out of ten, you know, you could choose to talk to a woman or a man. That's in engineering and in art, and in animation and in sound design.、Yeah. There was just a lot of diversity because the game attracted a huge amount of people who were fans, and we had a really gender split game. A lot of people played it that were both female and male,、um, and also around the world, we had translated The Sims into. Bajillion different languages, so it was just great. The diversity was really great, and then ever since then, it's been kind of a struggle to find an environment that, that's that diverse. I think that、um, I personally feel like I should be doing something different, like I should be doing a better job of it. Kelly and I were twenty percent of Journey,、um, but we never did find and hire a female programmer. We never really made it there, and I did try,、um, but I didn't succeed. And I take that as a personal.、Um, It's a personal goal of mine to find excellent talent of all kinds, and、uh, and I have still struggled、um, as a hiring manager,、uh, as a leader, and so it's not like I can just be like, wow, you know, it's all the men, you know, it's all their fault. It's not. I mean, we all have to take personal responsibility for that effort, and I I wonder sometimes why it's so hard,、mm. why is it so slow, why am I still struggling with this.、Um, As a developer, as a, as a leader, as, a, as a now a co-founder of a company, can I make a difference?、Um, so I don't know. I guess I hold myself to the same standard as everyone else, and, and for that I'm critical of my own. Well, then half the battle is won、out. that you're aware of it. I think that's a, a massive advantage.
Well, and also I think you know one doesn't want to be, be labeled as a female developer. One doesn't want to. I mean, I've turned down interviews mm-hmm. because the, the the scope of the interview is, would you like to comment on women in games or, you know, are games addicting older women or this or that? And it's like you know I'm, eh, you know I talk to me about it. my craft. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, speak to me about the people that I like working with or the you know the experimental games I've promoted, the events that I have tried to work on that I feel are very much about. Building out experimentation. Um, let's not see me as a gendered entity, but then at the same time, am I not an inspiration for those women that may want to come out? It's it's mm-hmm. very very sticky wicket. It is. It is. I got accused in a boardroom recently of pushing a feminist agenda <laughs> in a game, and I said, "You're damn Shame right." Shame <laughs> on you. That's right. <laughs> um, for the sake of being cheesy, um, let's say Journey was to represent what it's like for women developers. Um, the desert is the male-dominated industry. The players <laughs> are the women uh, who, who are, due to the harshness of the environment, compelled to be together and find each other. Um, what makes us fly, and, and how do we how do we get longer scarves? <laughs> I really I think that's a fantastic thing to ask. Um, one of the things I think we can do is is actually be courageous when asked. Is it an issue? And admit that it is. I think, you know, um, my husband is biracial, and we talk about it all the time. There's just a subtle awareness of your difference when you're surrounded by people that are not like you. And I think you get tired of feeling it. Um, there's a lot of feminism, right? <laughs> feminism that's been written about the fact that if you didn't ignore it most of the time, you would just be annihilated by it. Mm. That racism is one of those things that if you didn't ignore it, you would be annihilated by it. And it's like, what is the, what is the ways in which we can have courage and mention it to one another in a way that's supportive and not complaining? And I think it's it's about partially just supporting one another, but also being a beacon and saying, you know, it is an issue. I'm working on it in these ways. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I don't do interviews that are focused on me being a female. I don't like to focus on awards that I've won for being a female mm-hmm. um, because I didn't choose that. It's just a reality of mine. And I think at the same time, when when you see someone in a, in a, in a gathering, when you see another woman in a gathering and you see her holding back and she's not talking and the other members of her team are talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And she's the artist, but she's just really quiet. She's not talking. Mm-hmm. To just stop the conversation, turn to her, introduce yourself mm-hmm. and say, hello, you know, what is it that you do? Oh, why don't you tell me? <laughs> why don't we let the woman actually talk instead of explaining that she does X or Y on the project? And at the same time, making eye contact with the boys on her team that have decided that instead of letting her introduce herself, they will introduce her so that they know next time that it's fully her right to reach out and shake my hand. I think it's important for people to realize that it's those subtle moments that, that, make, that make a connection and let an individual know that they're appreciated, mm. that they're heard. It's hard for women, it's harder for women introverts. Yeah, it's like it's double whammy, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> the female yeah. artist on the game team is yeah. like so shy, right? And I mm. think that's, I'm an incredibly shy person. I know none of you will believe that, but I actually, I actually am quite, I'm quite, um, when left to my own devices, I would rather be reading or hanging out with a few people that I know playing a board game. I don't go out dancing. I don't go to bars. You know, it's like not... It's not like, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not an incredibly social person um, outside of events that I do for the industry. And it's 
it's taken work to get over that fear of being alone in a room full of guys drinking 10 pints, you know, um, because it's just a different situation. You can be threatened and not expect it. You can be taken aback by the behavior of people that are supposed to be professional. And just like I think, this guy. Yeah, exactly. There's a reason, you know, that women are, are, are reluctant to speak at times. And I think um, just being aware of it and trying to make it uh, something that's part of the dialogue that we have about our professional behavior is quite important. Mm-hmm. I encourage women to carry business cards and give them away to people that don't seem like they'll be that much fun to talk to. You've got to be brave. Thank you very much. You've got to be brave. Thank you very much. Here's my card. Mm. <laughs> now this... To to cut back to the game for just a second, because something did just happen then that made me so mad. Oh, yeah, when you were playing. But I had to walk away. (laughs) I had to walk away because I was having so much fun. And now now stuff's trying to kill me. And so all the feels totally flipped on their head. And I was mad at you, Robin. I was really mad. Yeah, a lot of people people feel threatened. So that's the point, though. (laughs) Yeah. It couldn't all be peaches and roses. Why not? <laughs> it wasn't even in flower, you know. I mean, there's yeah. there's a point there's a point to to this sensation. Um, and I mean, really, like you know, confronting the fact that there is darkness in the world, that there is sexism, there is racism, there is homophobia in our industry. You know, actually thinking about those things. Um, it doesn't always feel good, but if you don't think about them, then you can't confront them. And I think mm. we really wanted people to understand that there would be dark times, there would be, there would be uh, loneliness on the journey, there would be struggle, and there would be fear. Yeah, we thought a lot about this stuff. Just and what would it feel like? Once we got past this, this part, I, I saw why. So why I was made to feel like that, but I was still mad at you for making me feel like that. <laughs> it all makes sense, and it made it made it better afterwards because I've been through, especially later on with the, the restricting the movement and then giving you all the movement. Um, that was definitely something I was I was, I was speaking to a friend, Paul. Hi, Paul. Um, mm-hmm. When I'd rage quit. <laughs> after, after uh, not this bit so much as, as a bit coming up in, in yeah. a minute. Um, and he said, you've got to keep doing it. I said, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to... I was mad. I said, I don't want to go back there. He said, you've got to go back there and get past that pit, and then it's so much better. And, um, <laughs> and isn't that what and your friend tells you <laughs> when you have that moment in your real life? Yeah, it's exactly... And <laughs> you've yeah. just got to keep going. It'll be fine. And then the snow came. <laughs> no, but um, it, it's exactly what a friend does when you're struggling and when you're in that dark place a friend says you've just got to keep going and you've just got to you've just got to keep um hiding from the bad stuff or yeah. confronting the bad stuff whichever way you want to go about it but some ways are better than others um and i i'm, t- I'm totally taking advantage of my position as being someone who gets to talk to you right now in saying thank you for for giving me that and <laughs> thank you for giving me that experience um Yeah, it what? still creeps me out too. Yeah, right? <laughs> and I know how it <laughs> what other forms did these threats take? Like, how many, how many different ways could you uh, were you considering uh, introducing a threat? You know, that level was um, really bad for a really long time. Uh, there was a maze that we built that was really difficult to navigate, and um, uh, 
that uh, we tried for a long time to build a hide-and-seek feeling um, with those giant animating, you know, beasts, really, and it was quite difficult. Um, I think most of what we tried was just physical escape gameplay, and then at some point, I believe Matt just went in and ripped the level apart, uh, like totally just shredded it, and um, re-envisioned it as more of a haunted house, like a spooky... You, you feel it more than you actually experience it, mm-hmm. and that you would be hit if you weren't careful, but if you were careful, you could get through and, fe- and feel scared more than experience you know, violence. And I think that really mm-hmm. fixed it. Um, mostly just the implication that, um, that these creatures would be everywhere. There were some really bad puzzle designs in there with gates and you had to like work together and all this stuff and it was just really complicated and that was the other thing that we did. We took a ton of gameplay out of that section um, so that you could really experience feeling small. Um, and I think that also helped. It's not that hard to make someone feel weak, um, and games do it very well. It's hard to do it without making them feel angry, and I think mm. without making them feel like they're not special, um, and because you couldn't really get it back once you'd lost your scarf. We thought a lot about how to tune that. They were really harsh at one point, too. They mm. would definitely take a lot more of your scarf than they do now. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. I think these last levels um, that we've been through, the, um, the, blue, the blue environment, um, which we called the cave, and then this one, uh, which we called the ruins, they, they both really came together towards the end of the production in a way um, they were very much influenced by the, the technology that was available and the team's esprit de corps. And I feel that they're probably the... They're my favorites because they evoke so much feeling mm. um, through color and uh, ambience and environment. This one in particular, I think they did a fantastic job mm. on. I loved when it came back here. to it as a, as a little homage towards the end. That was, I was like, yeah, I get to be back in that place again. <laughs> mm. Yeah, the music in here is really great too. Austin put a bunch of beautiful gamelons and stuff in it. It's interesting. I think, you know, Journey is about um, experiencing one's, um, I don't know, the movement between moments um, in time. And when I go back and I play it, I find it to be quite meditative, and that's not something that's happened with a lot of other things I've worked on. Um, I don't mind playing it. Like, I actually quite enjoy it. It's... It's fun. Good, because we're making you play. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's really, it's really, I, I just like being in this world. And I'm not saying that because I helped make it, and if you buy it, you know, someday I'll get a check. You know, it's like, I'm saying that because I really mean it. Like, mm. it just feels nice to be here. And I used to miss it when I would go on press tour and stuff. I would come back and I'd think, oh, yeah, I'm going to sit down and play the game and see what they put in and really get a sense of what the game feels like, what it feels like to be in this environment, you know, drenched and then to fly up in the air and really glide. It feels so, it just feels so delicious to me. Mm. I wish everyone had a controller here and could (laughs) feel feel what it was like. 
Yeah, it's really, it's really beautiful. The sort of subtle heartbeat, the feeling of being inside this warm place after being so cold. Mm. Yeah, it reminds me of a sauna a bit. <laughs> You spoke uh, at GCAP uh, the, over the last two days uh, about the importance of being a well-rounded person as an individual and as a maker, um, not just being all I do with all of my spare time is play games, and, yeah. um, which is it's something we hear a lot, um, along with I've been playing games since I was three. That's another thing that a lot of people like to say. Um, <laughs> it doesn't really tell us a lot. Um, yeah, you dig cooking and gardening, yeah, and and you have multiple interests more than just games. Um, would Journey have looked different if you didn't dig orchids? <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, really, I mean, I think, like I said, a lot of the a lot of the art really did the feeling did come from Matt. And I think if um, one thing that Matt does is he plays with a lot of Legos, so I don't know. You can take that one, <laughs> whatever you like. Um, I think one of the things that is true about Journey is that I spent a lot of time thinking about the way the team worked and how we could get across these very large gaps um, at times in the feeling of the actual game. Mm -hmm. um, thinking about the morale of the team, our creative output, our capacity for uncertainty, our capacity for uh, empathy with one another, our capacity for love. And um, that definitely comes from gardening. That definitely comes from... from from making food for other people and seeing them love it and filling them and just getting them so drunk and full of food. You know, I love that feeling of just stuffing my friends. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's really lovely to feel like you've done um, a service to someone, given them pleasure. And I, f I really do believe that development should be pleasant. It should be, it's not always going to be easy, but neither is climbing a mountain or um, going on a really good run. It's not easy. But it's pleasurable in the sense that you feel a sense of accomplishment from it. And I think I spent a lot of time trying to smooth out the rough surfaces um, in our emotional environment as a team um, so that we could have the courage and the energy to continue going. Um, because it was quite weird to be working on a game that was about walking somewhere. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, that was going to be two hours long, you know, that was going to have... No voice chat, no text chat, no way of knowing who you were playing with. I mean, that was a strange proposal. And, and so I think the patience and the, I would say maybe the humility that comes from working with plants or food um, is very critical to me. Mm. The that, idea that things shouldn't be rushed. Yeah, yeah. That, that conscious decision to make you not know who you're playing with. Um, is that sort of a nod to when the astronaut is on the moon looking down at the earth and everyone's an ant? And, <laughs> and that sort of, so you can never make that, you can never really have that connection as in knowing, knowing who they are. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear a bit more about that conscious decision to, to be together yet distanced. One of the things that we really worried about was that you would go online and it'd be like, you know, 
granny panties 757 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your head. and that's just not acceptable you know I mean it's just not not in line with the experience I mean we talked about that from the very beginning so there was definitely just the just the conscious decision to not allow cell phones in the theater you know that it's mm. like let's not break the moment by having um, reality come in and assert itself in in our fiction um, there's just that but then there's also yeah the um Oh, I don't know how to say it. When you're alone in the wilderness and you pass a person on a hike, you see them and you feel a human, a human, you know, like another being. Mm. And we wanted it to feel like that. We wanted it to feel like another being. Mm. And didn't even really succeed at 100%. I mean, there are definitely still people who play it the first time and see another person and think it's an AI. Mm. It's an incredible compliment. Um, it it's quite difficult to write an AI that complicated. But um, I think knowing you are the simple silhouette and then seeing this other simple silhouette, it's a bit like um, if you were both on t- either side of a, of a fish tank and inside there was a little fish that you controlled with a magnet, you could only ever see the other little fish, right? Like the fish becomes the embodiment of the other character, you know, Punch and Judy, you know, like that, mm. that sensation of puppeteering, of, um, of there being more to an action um, than one might think of it at first. Keeping it as anonymous and as simple as possible really lets you put so much of yourself into the experience. Um, during the development, I would write down little roles for people and then we would play all together. So I would say, you know, you're a lover, you're a fighter, you're a griefer, you're a loner, you know, and we would play together not knowing what the roles were. And it was really amazing. You could really never tell who you were playing with. Like you were always, if you were a lover, they were a lover. If you were a griefer, they were a victim or a griefer. Um, If you really put yourself in the mindset of a particular role, it's almost impossible not to see that coming back at you from the other person. Mm. And in a way, I think that what we achieved inadvertently, um, but I think is really quite an accomplishment for the team, is to create this mirror that you see what you are or you see what you think Mm -hmm. um, when you play. And using it for good instead of evil as well. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I if mean, you look at Daisy, you find a human, you go, yay, human, and they've shot you. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of... It's, it's, it's really true. Yeah, it's using it for a nice, a nice feel instead of a yucky feel. Well, and we <laughs> talked about that a little bit actually with, um, with uh, Left 4 Dead. You know, if you play Left 4 Dead, you know, there are those people that will take you all the way to the end and then turn around and head shoot you and you know, mm. leave. Mm. And um, that person is a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and like... We really, really tried to explore all the ways in which you could be a jerk in Journey so that that wouldn't happen. Because, mm. yeah, it would not be good to have a jerky feel, no. like after trusting someone for a long time. Um, and, you know, there are those stories that come up on Journey Stories, the Tumblr, that's like, you know, it's kind of like a misconnections for Journey in some ways, mm. where someone says, you know, like, I was separated from you, and I waited, and I waited, and we never met. And I just, like, you read them, and you're just like, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> you know, that's really terrible. But then for every one of those, there's, you know, a couple of, like, you made, you waited for me. Like, we walked together to the very end. And I think that that's really, um, that's really also quite important. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like I don't want to play through this last level. Yep. I think I want to just leave it here um, because it's, I don't know, this part is, is so intense and personal that like, it'll just make me cry for a while. And you do, yeah, you really have to feel yeah. this bit. Um, the movement being restricted and... These poor little fish. That so fish sad. looks cold. Yeah, everyone's cold here. Um, so yeah, I'll just leave it here now. Yeah, I was also mad at you for this bit. Yeah. <laughs> Again. Yeah. Why are you killing the fish? And it would be interesting mm. to live a life without texture, but I don't know if it would be good. Mm. Um, has anyone got any questions for Robin? Oh, yay! Yes. <laughs> I can't see yeah, it at the I'm moment. Well. You have a mic? Awesome. Uh, we've got one just here that's closest to you. That'll do. <laughs> Um, where they, uh, in, in this world, there's lots of creatures which sort of behave kind of like seafood. Were, were you calling them fish <laughs> before that, or were they called fish because you always imagined that they'd be these sort of aquatic animals that were hanging out? Oh, um, we always imagined that there would be life forms, and then when we were working with the cloth, it became um, more and more important for them to be um, fluid, and then that led to a lot of discussion about building out an underwater feeling environment in the blue part. And then that led to the development of the characters. And it was all part of the same thing. Like, it's all a big ring. You know, the cloth itself has limitations, but then you work within those limitations to create a feeling. Um, we definitely always wanted there to be a, a, a mysterious feeling in the underground part. Um, but the, the aquatic themes and then the fish themselves and stuff, that all kind of evolved. And their behavior, actually, Brian Singh did most of the programming for their behavior. That was all a, a evolutionary along through the entire game. Um, and he worked quite hard on it, so he should be very proud of himself. Hi. Um, I'm just interested in um, Austin Winter's music. Yeah. Um, was he working off a temp score, or how early was he brought into it? Um, oh, Austin worked on the, uh, on the game for basically the entire game. We, we chose him as a, um, as a composer very early on, and he had already uh, composed the theme, the cello theme, uh, before we were even greenlit at Sony. So the, um, the green light uh, sort of package consisted of a small design doc that, you know, we really, I mean, we didn't really use documentation on Journey. We just mostly worked together as a team. Um, but you have to sort of make a little proposal. So there was a small doc that described what the feeling of the game was, like a tone doc. And then an animated, um, sh like a short animation, like a little tiny movie with a character moving through the environments set to the, the theme, which you hear. Um, and it became our first trailer music as well. Um, it's the reason that Journey was greenlit, I think. <laughs> Austin's just brilliant. I mean, and Tina Guo, the cellist, just phenomenal. I mean, amazing talent. Um, and also, hardcore. She's got her own custom electronic cello. She tours the world doing metal cello. She's like, <laughs> she's in Cirque du Soleil. She's just like sexy and vibrant and like so amazing. Um, she's just, she rocks. She just rocks so hard. Literally. Um, just literally <laughs> rocks. Queen Bee, look it up on, on YouTube. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, she's just amazing. And so the two of them, you know, even just with this one piece of music, this one theme, so sad and yet so evocative, um, I think it was really critical. And yeah, I spent a lot of time working with Austin. Genova and Austin, Kelly and myself worked um, a lot on the sound design. And also um, Steve Johnson, who's the sound designer on our game. Um, yeah, I, I met with him continually throughout the project, 
more than more than once a month, um, often more than three times a month, um, and constantly chatting and emailing back and forth. And you know, he'd send sounds, and Ginova would put them in, and then we'd all listen. Um, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time on the on the music, and I think it's it, the score is, itself is interactive. Um, when you play alone, it sounds a certain way, and when you play with someone else, it sounds different. And um, we went through many iterations on the score. Um, Monty Mudd, who helped us implement it on the Sony side, worked very hard with us to, at the very end of the project, we, we completely revamped the sound system so that it would be smooth and there would be no pops, no transitions. Um, it was quite a bit of effort. And Martin, my, my, my co-founder, um, was the one who bore the responsibility of making that be bug-free. So um, it, was, it was all very, very integrated. I think it's very critical to have sound involved in a game like this early on because it sets the tone for what you'll feel um, in that very first moment. Um, and actually, the theme, the very last theme of the game, when you, when you do the credits, it's a beautiful song with um, classic verses, uh, Basho and Joan of Arc. Um, and uh, he composed that at the very end. Like, I mean, literally at the end of the production, it's like, Oh, by the way, I wrote a song that's got singing in it, and I recorded it, and Elizabeth's singing it, and it's amazing. And we were, I was like, a song with words in Journey? That doesn't make any sense. And we sat down as a team and played it, and we were all just like, oh, my God, it's amazing. It's so beautiful. Um, and I listened to it. I did the credits, um, you know, implemented the credits of the game, because that's one of the things you end up doing. And... Um, I listened to it probably 3,000 times, and I still think it's beautiful. So, yeah, he's an amazing composer, and I'm really thrilled to continue to work with him in the future. He's one of my favorite people in the whole world. So, We had some more over this direction. Uh, oh, there's three there. Uh, Hello. Um, I have a question about the, the world and the backstory. Do you, do you as, as a team, do you know everything about this world or are there, are there things that even are mysteries to you? Uh, yeah, I think what's beyond uh, is a mystery. Like we never, we never really came to an agreement as a team <laughs> about what's beyond. And like a lot of the conversation on the game was about what does that light really mean? Um, it means different things for different people and uh, no one can really know. So that's definitely an unknown. Um, where where um, life begins and ends is another thing that we spent a lot of time talking about. Um, what, the, what the creatures are, where they came from, how they came to be, how long has the world been the way that it is, when were these other beings in it. Um, that was all something that we left to, to the mystery because it's not really important. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen Looper, but there's a point where the two characters meet and they're, you know, both, they're the same person and from different times. And the one, the younger one is saying, like, well, what, what is it? And then at some point, the older one says, it just doesn't matter! You know, like, it's just not important. And in that moment, what he's saying is this film is not really about time travel. <laughs> it's about something else. And, like, Journey isn't really about what's beyond the light. It's about what happens when you're moving towards the light. It's about the journey itself. And the biggest mystery for us, and I think this is throughout the production, was that um, we had no idea 
what it would be like when thousands and thousands of players were playing it online at the same time. Would they like each other? Would they be mean? Would the feels be right? You know, like we didn't know. And um, it was nerve wracking. Martin was responsible for basically implementing this entire online system that that allows you to connect with one another seamlessly. So you're walking and then a person appears out of nowhere and making that not be janky, making it feel organic. Um, we didn't really have a lot of time to test it with a lot of people. I mean, there was a, a you know a beta period internal, then we had about you know, a thousand players online at a given time, but that was nothing compared to what it would be like at release. And so there was a huge amount of anxiety about what would it feel like when people were really like in Japan, in Germany, playing together, you know, in the United States, in France, playing together. And um, that first couple days after it was released, we were all just kind of, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it never did. I mean, which is a huge credit to Martin and I think also the rest of the engineering team that it just kind of went off without a hitch. But not knowing how people would be in the world um, would they feel the things that we wanted them to feel? Like the first couple times that I did interviews for Journey afterwards, I would have journalists coming up to myself and Genova, like literally in tears. And that was just like stunning. You know, like, whoa, it really worked. <laughs> you know, it really works. Like it actually, like people can love one another through this mediated interface. People can feel connected as humans. It's like, the world doesn't have to be about dying and killing. Like, we can actually love one another. Like, that's something that, you know, I really believe now um, because this exists. And so... Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit Done. ranty. I guess I'm getting, getting hungry. Well, that's, that's it, yeah. <laughs> They, uh, they preempted my clap, so you're just going to have to do that again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, can you please thank Robin Hunnicke? Thank you. <laughs> you have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings of talks and live events, go to Acme Channel and the Acme website.